Good morning. I am your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the February 10, 2015 edition of Ask a Leader. UCI's administrators, Dr. Mandy Mount, Director of the CARE Office, and Teresa Truman, Deputy Title IX Office and Senior Investigator in the Office of Equal Opportunity and Diversity, will post us on what's happening here and now with respect to sexual assault policies and major emphasis on prevention. Then in the second portion, a smaller portion, Andrew Tonkovich, UCI Creative Writing Lecturer and More Trades, is going to MC an event on Thursday with progressive economist Dr. Richard Wolf and attorney Ellen Brown in Santa Ana, the forum being called Challenging Capitalism. Don't go away. We'll be right back after a very short break. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Thanks for staying tuned. Although the month of April has been nationally recognized as the Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month, I simply could wait no longer to have my two guests on the show. The issue is ever topical, unfortunately. My coverage on this program is well overdue. My guests for the larger share of the hour are Dr. Mandy Mount, Director of the UCI Campus Assault Resources and Education, that's CARE for short, the office, and Teresa Truman, Assistant Director, Deputy Title IX Officer for the Office of Equal Opportunity and Diversity. A little background on these two women informs us about the guests, as along with a rea- bit of a reassurance that help is on the way. Dr. Mandy Mount established the CARE office in 2005. Here, she oversees advocacy and holistic healing programs, prevention education programming, engages in research and policy development, serves on the campus response team for sexual misconduct, conducts individual and group psychotherapy, and, if that wasn't too much, and teaches academic courses. She provides training and consultation for law enforcement. We're going to give people grades on how they're doing around in the Irvine PD. Student conduct hearing boards, mental health providers, Office on Violence Against Women, Guarantees, Community Organizations, and Campus Groups. Dr. Mount also directs a Department of Justice on Violence Against Women grant to reduce sexual assault, dating and domestic violence, and stalking, and chaired the Victim Services Subcommittee for the UC system-wide grant, developing a comprehensive legal and policy resource directory for use by the University of California system. Dr. Mount chairs the UC Irvine Women's Empowerment Initiative and has coordinated the Girls' Conference Orange County since 2012. She earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from UCLA and her master's and PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Maryland. My other guest is Teresa Garrier Truman. Is Garrier? I hope that's right. Uh, but Truman is the the name now. That the, the, the uh, her uh, is the senior investigator, deputy Title IX officer in the Office of Equal Opportunity and Diversity. She is the lead campus resource for administrative investigations of sex offenses, including sexual assault, sexual misconduct, dating and domestic violence, and stalking. 
Ms. Truman conducts formal investigations and informal resolution of complaints alleging discrimination, sexual harassment, sex offenses, and retaliation. She responds to complaints filed with outside agencies, including the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and the Office of Civil Rights. She also conducts a variety of presentations and workshops on sexual harassment and sex offense prevention, non-discrimination, cultural awareness, and bystander intervention. We'll, we'll open that up to, totally today for students, faculty, and staff. She earned her B.A. in political science and women's studies at the University of New Hampshire. She completed her master's degree from Simmons College in gender and cultural studies and a master of dispute resolution degree from Pepperdine University School of Law. Prior to joining UCI, she worked as a discrimination investigator for the state of New Hampshire. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Mandy Mount and Teresa Truman. Thank you. Well, you're, they joined me in studio today. Well, ladies, to to what extent would you say that the heightened attention in the media of sexual assaults raises awareness and helps you be more effective? To what extent? Well, I feel like the heightened. This is Dr. Mandy Mount. <laughs> Thank you. The heightened attention to these issues in the media, I think, is really helpful in terms of getting people to be paying attention and specifically for survivors to feel that they're not alone and for them to feel more confident in coming forward with their concerns. So I think it's really helpful from that perspective. On the other hand, though, I think that the cases that tend to be paid attention to in the media don't tend to be representative of the kinds of cases that we see on a more regular basis. So in that way, because they may be highlighting cases that the media is more interested in, it may actually be invalidating for certain survivors who are experiencing violence in the context, let's say, of relationships or under the influence of alcohol. So I think that it's both good and bad in terms of raising awareness. Well, um, and Therese Truman's going to say something too, but, but uh, while we're talking about that, I just want to quickly jump on that though. Is it because um, these are less of a gray area because it looks like they're so gray that the local jurisdictions are not going to enforce various po municipal policies, um, or is it because they're just they're just sensational and they're they're more more black and white than what you're seeing when you're saying talking about dating and what looks like it's consensual and what isn't consensual. Yeah, so I think that what we generally see in the media is really very sensationalized cases um, with extreme violence, whereas on this campus we might see more um, dating violence that occurs over a long period of time and is not as brutal as some of the videos that we've seen in the last year um, might contain emotional abuse, um, cyber abuse, or financial abuse. And so uh, sometimes when victims are trying to identify what they're seeing in the media with what their own experience is, they might think, well, it wasn't that bad, or people won't believe me because I don't have this video. So the bar, it set the bar up a little bit higher, perhaps, but um, but I'm glad you brought up all those other aspects I don't think I'd even consider, that the emotional, the financial, and there was one, uh, the, the... Cyber. The, the cyber, yeah, all of that going on. So, and, mm -hmm. but, well, um, tell us about who's been doing the best job on addressing this, since you're saying, well, we'll look at the, sort of the enforcers and the, the policymakers. What is the UC system doing which you think that this August institution is re is getting it really right? 
Sure. So I can Ms. speak Truman? to Yeah, let me speak to that a little bit. Um, what I can say is that campuses across the country are struggling and trying to get it right. They're really working to change their processes. What we've been called a model campus, UCI has been called a model campus in this area, but even we are working very hard all the time to listen to the students, faculty, and staff about how we can improve, how we can do a better job. Um, in the last year, especially, the UC system has been devoting a lot of time, a lot of attention, putting the, the greatest thinkers um, in the same room to try and address this, especially including students in the conversation, because they generally are the ones who are impacted the most on our campus by um, dating, domestic violence, stalking, and sexual assault. So I think what we're doing really well is saying, we don't know everything. But we want to listen and hear and improve our processes to really respond to the needs of our unique community. Okay. I would agree. I think that we've seen a lot of improvements in the UC system in the last year in particular. I think that there were a lot of inconsistencies previously about the ways that the different campuses were handling these issues and not a lot of guidance for campuses in knowing what kinds of resources they should be looking at providing for students. And one thing that has happened in the last year is that across the UC system, there's been an effort to really standardize what that looks like and make sure that the same resources are available no matter which of the UC campuses we're talking about. And so we have been looking as a team at campuses across the country that have great practices in place. But one thing that we've also been looking at is campuses right here in the UC system in the state of California that also have great practices. And UC Irvine is definitely one of those campuses that has been working on these issues for quite a while now and has been really working on improving our response protocols, our prevention activities, as well as our healing opportunities for students. And I think that's one area that we are excelling in at the moment is with our healing opportunities that we offer that they're holistic in nature and that we're really trying to be conscious of the cultural differences between our, between our students and paying attention to the kinds of resources that they might be willing to engage with from a trauma-informed perspective and really that perspective is what underlies everything that we do here at UC Irvine with an understanding of trauma at the center of the decisions that we make and the procedures that we put in place uh, is how we've been moving forward. And so we're always looking to continue, as Teresa said, to revise that and take feedback into account. Well, as we're watching the coverage across the country, we're seeing cases, and I, and I know we've talked, you've addressed that they're they're sensational ones that the media is carrying, but it just seems like every campus is trying to invent the wheel, and it doesn't look like there is a template that's moving over from campus to campus. And so maybe there is a cultural difference uh, from campus to campus. Some are more homogenous and more heterogeneous. Maybe the heter. Tell me uh, from your uh, exquisite training, both of you, whether the heterogeneous culture your reckoning with here on UCI's campus, if that is a kind of a cosmopolitan sort of advantage that you realize there's a lot of sensitivities and they enter into so many areas, including sexual assault on a sliding scale. Do you, you think that maybe the more homogenous campuses sort of are just flatter footed um, in, in dealing with these kinds of things? And that's why we're seeing case after case just showing up. Here's Vanderbilt, here's University of Connecticut, and here's all these other campuses. Or Tallahassee, too, in a way. Do you think the multicultural 
setting that UC Irvine gives you an advantage. It behooved you to move on this sexual assault, the nuanced handling of, of trauma and all the way down to uh, less trauma for making you more effective and yeah. more re- more responsive. It's an interesting question, Claudia. Um, I think that we are compelled, we're motivated on this campus to respond no matter what. It really doesn't matter the diversity level of our campus. And I think everybody across the country is feeling the same push. I mean, I, I like to believe we're in the middle of another civil rights movement in that this is the topic, this is the issue of concern for young people right now. This is a big issue. So the... The drive to address this, I think, is there, and it's there across the country. To the issue regarding um, whether our the our, our campus, whether the diversity on our campus um, pushes us in in certain ways of responding, I would say absolutely. College campuses uniquely have interesting um, and unique students. I mean, they come from right. all over the world, all over the country. They come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different um, socioeconomic classes, and they're all coming and meeting in the same place. And so their understanding or their um, belief systems will play into effect in how they respond to our uh, prevention methods, as well as our response methods, whether they're going to report or not. So because we deal with such a unique population on college campuses, and I would say that's probably similar across the country, we're really um, we're really compelled to try and come up with creative ways to get the message to different students or different faculty who may have never heard of this before or have really um, deep belief systems about this. In a non-threatening setting, it was a, it was clear to me recently how uh, different cultural frames of references inform us about how to interact. And it was in an office setting where an Indian national told me about how it was difficult. It was an interesting uh, process for her to learn how to direct should be in the workplace. So I'm wondering about then those cues, cue reading from different ethnicities and different uh, sort of, are you first, second, third generation from another uh, country? So that cue reading is really what's that's all of it happening on the campus there with uh, with these these young people that are just thrown uh, onto your campus in your jurisdiction. So, uh, yeah. So let me start, are- and I'm going to kick it over to Mandy. So I think that really is part of the challenge of the work. So we can write beautiful policies, right. um, prohibiting all sorts of conduct. But that word or that concept may not transo- translate over directly to different cultures. And get operationalized. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so what we're talking about is a cultural change here. And that's why the work of Mandy Mao and the CARE office is so important because they're translating policies into really exciting, engaging programs so that we can reconceptualize and have this, this societal shift. Um, so, I mean, she could talk more about the work that she's doing in this area because I think that is really the most important work. That's the, that's the prevention work. That's the understanding work. Absolutely. And I think that to your question earlier about whether the diverse nature of our campus provides us with some sort of advantage, I think it also presents some challenges. Right. So we have to be conscious in our prevention efforts of the cultural diversity here on the campus and the different ways in which our students are coming to us with various understandings of sexual norms and interpersonal behavior. So we have to be able to address that right up front with all of our students and keep in mind that we have 
a very diverse group of people in front of us whenever our staff are out there doing their prevention work. And so we try really hard to make sure we focus group our students from diverse communities before we ever go out there with any prevention messaging because we have to be aware of how it's going to land with them if we want to be doing effective prevention work. Oh, wow, where it lands with them. I want to step back a little bit and examine what your take is on you are being handed a problem if the cultures in the high school have already sort of hardwired the males and female peers with certain roles and certain lack of cue reading. So uh, it's sort of you sometimes maybe could just throw up your hands like, can you just high school sort this out before you send this these ticking bombs to us? <laughs> yeah, because um, we know that there are a few high schools that have been working on this, mm-hmm. but it seems like you're you're just being handed over problem. Yeah, that absolutely does happen, and I think that the education needs to be happening at an earlier time than when the students are already in college. So I think as early as junior high, actually, is where we're seeing a lot of the students. I have a friend who is assistant principal at a local middle school, and it's unbelievable the amount of sexual violence and harassment and abuse that's happening at the junior high level. What can you can you unpackage that a little more? Like I don't want I'm not saying let's get lurid, but yeah, what, what are they doing to each other at the junior high level? <laughs> Everything they're doing at the college level, no, absolutely. There's cyber harassment and well, that part I get, but like tactile though, kind absolutely, of. yes. Mm-hmm. There's been sexual assaults, and the thing is, there's not training either for the administrators to know how to deal with these kinds of issues when they come up. Okay. So that's a huge issue as well as educating the students. So are you doing a feedback loop with those? Absolutely. Those, and, so locally, and let's make sure those locals are being templates for the, but I had, this is just flattening me. I'm not sure I can carry on this yeah. interview with that. No, no, it's not a laughing matter. I know that. No. But Oh, and I thought, so my, my portion here is my, I have skin in this game. I have a daughter who will start college mm-hmm. next fall. And and we know that one out, let's see, 20%, is that correct, are uh, sexually assaulted in the first two weeks of their beginning college life. By the time they graduate college. By the time but I, that one period four, is yes. very high risk That's in the, the first high, few weeks. Okay. Yeah. And so what my little uh, informal task is that I thought, well, we'll just every time I see a sensationalized coverage that gives sort of a whole kind of case of lays out, and that that part is helpful. It'll tell you uh, where maybe a decision was made, where the victim, what became more isolated, where the victim allowed for a cocktail to be offered. There's various things along the way, and my daughter just says, oh, I know about that. I'm never going to believe my friends. So we're, we're, try- we're talking about different things mm-hmm. informally. So mm-hmm. I, what you talked about working with some feedback loop to these education, lower levels of education. So what uh, maybe let's just briefly talk about what the the family, the community, the friends can say to those incoming fresh women and fresh men, since they both are a subject to this and affected by it. So I think if it was my daughter, Claudia, yes. some of the things that I would want to teach her or my son is about healthy relationships, what it looks like to be in a healthy, loving relationship, whether you decide to engage in sexual behavior or not. Um, because I I think those are the beginning stages for a lot of the dating violence or domestic violence or sexual assault that we see is how to imbue our children with really good self-esteem so that they feel comfortable 
disengaging or stopping a relationship when it gets to a place that they feel uncomfortable. And the same with sexual assault, the same with sexual activity. Um, I would teach my child about consent, both my, my, you know, my male child or my female child or my non-conforming child. I would teach them what it means that it's not the absence of a no, that what consent really means is someone being completely engaged in that activity, right. really wanting that activity, not being passed out, not being so intoxicated that you're not quite sure if this is a choice that they would have made already. And I think the last thing that I would teach my child is have a great support system. That means your friends. That means your parents. That means other people who are going to be looking out for you and that you can call and talk to if you're in a situation that you feel uncomfortable. So those are the things. I know it's it's not as sexy as, you know, carry a whistle or do defense classes or don't drink. But these are the, the building blocks to keeping students safe on our campus. Well, I'm thinking, or that's uh, how you hardwire your offspring because they're not going to have that... Uh, corner that pit crew who's in, when you're on a one-on-one -on -one situation mm -hmm. it's got to be hardwired so you're really responding formidably mm -hmm. and I mean that uh, with all the e expression that it entails yeah. and I think Mandy will talk about this yes. more but having that good friend network so that those moments before you're in that one-on-one -on -one they situation see they'll right. see they'll they'll know if so I'm not going to tell my child don't drink because that doesn't necessarily it's not an effective strategy no. for most students. No. But if I say, you know, have good friends who see that if you're impaired, they'll help you get home, that could save their lives. And I yes. would add in to be aware of the resources. Take the time to learn about them so that you can be a good friend as well. And really focus on teaching our youth how to be engaged bystanders in a way that is safe, in a way that recognizes and respects whatever their personal barriers may be or their cultural barriers, meeting them where they are and allowing them to identify opportunities to become involved and to, as a community, begin to feel that we have a role in the prevention of these issues directly. So, um, you know, whether that's directly getting involved or finding a way to involve another person or simply creating a distraction. We have a prevention program here on the campus called Green Dot that teaches people the skills for how they can be involved in preventing somebody from being harmed if they see something unfolding. Because by and large, many of these situations aren't happening entirely outside of the awareness of other people. Most of the time, somebody sees it beginning to unfold, whether it's a, abuse in a relationship or sexual violence or stalking. Somebody's aware that something doesn't feel right, and they're in a position to be able to be involved and stop it. So teaching our young ones how they can do that and what the options are so that they can quickly identify them and act when they do see something about to occur. And we are opening Green Dot all the way up here. But for those of you who have just joined us, you're tuned to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming in dormitories around the world on the web at KUCI.org. My guests are addressing UCI's 
prevention policies and procedures concerning sexual assault. Dr. Mandy Mount, director of the UCI Campus Assault Resources and Education, that's CARE office, and Teresa Truman, assistant director, deputy Title IX officer for the Office of Equal Opportunity and Diversity. Well, that green dot system is uh, phenomenal, and it's simple, and it's alliterative. It's got mm-hmm. everything we need to hardwire, pick up where what it wasn't quite the training didn't quite take place with the the pit crews where our students started before they were uh, on campus. So let's talk about it's an innovative bystander model, but it's been around since uh, I, I when I looked it up is around been around since 1993. So why mm-hmm. don't both of you give us the range of bystander types? Who who are the bystanders? So everybody knows and they can identify themselves as a bystander. Well, the bystander types really includes everybody. Everybody is a potential bystander who can be involved. If you are a friend, if you're a stranger, if you're a parent, if you're a professor, if you're an administrator, anybody is a bystander and is in a situation where they can be somebody who can prevent something from happening. The idea of Green Dot is that everybody doesn't have to take on the entire issue of violence prevention. All they have to do is be one person at one moment in time when they have that opportunity and for them to act. And if every single person takes advantage of every single opportunity that they are given, then we see a cultural shift. And everybody is then preventing violence on an everyday basis, an every moment basis. And that is truly where change happens. You know, it's predicated on this idea that there are people with social influence. And when we start to see people with social influence acting in a particular way, we follow. And so we train specifically those people who we know others are listening to, how they can get involved and how they can be involved in prevention just in those everyday moments in their lives without having to take it on as their big issue even. What's most important is that it's those little things that add up, you know, like like Facebook, right? It was one person that started with Facebook and then a group of people that were friends and then their friends. And now it's a cultural phenomenon. So any behavior that people pick up one by one can shift an entire culture. Well, Mandy, I'm also thinking if, if one, I'm saying a female because it just tends to be a higher incidence, but if she's hearing, she's collecting data from so many observers, so many bystanders, it would validate what one other person might have weighed in with so that uh, she she can't ignore or dismiss what one person's saying if, if so many people are bringing that to her attention so she realizes bad news, I've got to, I've got to disengage from from whatever situation this is. Mm-hmm. That's, so it's not just the culture, but I mean, in one, in one case study, it's, it's uh, confirming, it's confirmation that uh, there's a problem and not to p- persist in it. Claudia, I think that's a really good point. And what the studies show us about uh, bystander interveners is that if nobody takes action, then we'll all step back. We'll question it's a what vacuum. we're yeah. We'll question what we're doing. We'll question if we're seeing what what we think we're seeing. None of nobody will step forward. But if one person steps forward, just one person and says, "I don't think this is right," does something, 
then the rest of us will will stop questioning what we're seeing and also get involved. And so it's it's truly as Mandy says, it's a it's a paradigm shift, it's a cultural shift where we stop standing back and, and saying, I don't want to get involved or I'm not sure what I'm seeing or or it's not me. I, I don't know if I can intervene. And we say, it's on all of us. It's on me. And if I step forward, I know other people will feel comfortable stepping forward also. Now there we could talk about all of the green dot kinds of means for intervening uh, for bystanders to do this. I'm thinking whether it's I've done this myself, but sort of on the sliding scale, the most casual thing to do, I was thinking of rubbernecking. You just sort of like, you know, you're eyeing, you're just, you're tracking, you're maybe getting eye contact with some, I don't know them, but I, so that, I mean, let's start with that. And then if you could give us more examples of where, so people have that and the Green Dot program, by the way, it stands for the, the three Ds are- Direct, distract, and delegate. Okay, those are the three Ds. Mm-hmm. So, no, would you think was is rubbernecking the first? Is that is that at all useful? Sorry, like I looking at what you think might be a little dicey thing. You're saying I got my eyes on you, buddy. Oh, sure. I mean, I wasn't sure at first if you were saying rubbernecking was a problem when we see something and we choose not to engage, right? But we're just watching it unfold because that's that's really the opportunity moment, right? But I think what you're saying is make your presence known, Yes. right? Make your presence known as a potential strategy for preventing problems. It's not the end. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. saying if it, like, if you're, you're you know, if you're, you're depending on that yeah. kind of look you get back and then, then comes in these uh, distracted. So someone yeah. tell us, give us a scenario where, or there's lovely script and I, we will produce those PSAs for mm-hmm. you all uh, to, so that people have these scripts down in their head, but there, you. you can say, uh, I, I, I need you over here. When, you're sensing there's yes. something wrong that you can just the, the the front door of a house you can say this I, we need her in here right now or something but let's get some the uh, listeners some means for uh, intervening sure sure well for your rubbernecking example i think that what you're really speaking to is the power of social influence and social feedback, right? So when we perceive that we're going to get a negative reaction for the behaviors that we're engaging in from other people, then we're less likely to do them. So when somebody gives you a disapproving look, you're receiving that as this is not okay. You just as got regulated, to, buddy. Right, right. As opposed Sli- to when nobody does anything, then implicitly they're supporting the bad behaviors, right? So people think that they may not be engaging because they're, they don't want to get involved or it's not their business, but what they're really doing is implicitly giving permission, right? Right. So um, I think that 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 look that you were talking about absolutely can be a, um, a strategy that people can use. But a start only. Yes, yeah, start only. But there's lo- the point is that there's many things that people can do. And people shouldn't feel limited to only a particular set of behaviors. And no matter what people's comfort zone is, there's always something they can do. Whether it's direct, which might mean stepping into a situation and saying something directly and saying, hey, what I'm seeing isn't okay. Or stop wow. doing that. You can right? do that. You can could do that but some people some don't people feel are, comfortable doing that ready. or maybe their safety might be at risk if they were to do something like that so the other d's are direct um, that's direct there's also distract and delegate so distract would be for somebody who wants to do something but they don't really want to get directly involved but the goal is to stop the behavior from happening right so it could be 
um, spilling a drink on the person that you're concerned about or on yourself and grabbing them and taking them to the bathroom and saying, I need to clean up or Ooh, let's get you cleaned up, getting the person out of the situation. Or our students have come up with really creative ones as well. Things like telling somebody that their car is getting towed, right? So that they have to leave that situation in the moment and you have an opportunity to break it up. So that would be an example of a distraction. Or you can delegate. Delegation just means you get somebody else to take care of it. Right, you call the right. police. You call, uh, if you're in the dorms, an RA. Or somebody else who is around. Maybe get your friends involved. And you delegate to somebody else who you think has more authority. Maybe a bartender. And the great thing about this is that no matter how you choose to intervene, you get all the credit. Because you chose to do something, even if it means that you brought somebody else into the situation, you still get all the credit for preventing that event at that moment in time. And how powerful is that if everybody takes every opportunity to do that? And I'm thinking, Dr. Mount, possibly not necessarily a person with authority, but let's say somebody we, I'm, I'm not putting it all on the jocks, but let's say we do, we do know a, 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 a top form athlete's our friend. Maybe he's been crowing on the Facebook about what a great uh, what a, a, a formidable character. Well, so you know that person. You can sort of bring that person as a peer, not a person of authority, but a peer who has this mantle, though, of a peer authority. Mm-hmm. And they could sort of come in and say, hey, so I'm not sure what role they'd have, but they, they just show up. Maybe they distract or maybe they maybe they take her. Uh, oh, that's right. It's a, a dis- the bystander can say, oh, let's you and I dance now. Sure. And then, then in that dance, they could be, be an example, a model, and also have an opportunity maybe for a little uh, conversation, a little, a little mm-hmm. exchange and say, I'm not liking the cues I'm seeing. Are you, are you safe? Or, exactly. Or something a little more subtle than are you safe? Yeah. Are you having enough fun? (laughs) (laughs) Because if she's not having enough fun, she can't hide that. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly as Mandy said. We're brokering on the the social influence of others. So like you said, bring somebody in who has a little more social capital who will stop the situation or change the dynamic of the situation. We've seen a lot of PSAs right now that involve athletes, athletes. you know, movie stars. Mm -hmm. And that brings a little social credibility, a little social influence to the conversation. So we don't care how you get it done. Just, just get it done because we've all walked away from situations where we think I could have done something. Why didn't I step up and say something? And we all have that social power um, to change the dynamic. Just unfortunately, there was that one New Orleans Saint player, Darren uh, Sharp, he made himself a model of an advocate for women in general. And so that masked the fact that he was a serial abuser. So we got to look behind some of that window dressing for some models out there. But that's, that, that's a little bit of a distortion, but that is an, an MO that we, um, we can just, just be a little bit more aware. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, my guests here are talking to the policies and prevention of sexual assault here at the UCI campus, Dr. Mandy Mount, Director of the UCI Campus Assault Resources and Education Office, and Teresa Truman, Assistant Director, Deputy Title IX Officer for the Office of Equal Opportunity and Diversity. We're talking at this part of the program about bystanders' roles and the Green Dot Program. So um, I just didn't know if the students active for ending rape safer. I saw a, a particular uh, website for them, but I can't tell if they're still active. Or is that one group out there? It looked like a, a less of an institutional uh, group. But uh, So, Mandy Mount, you know about them? I do, And yes. they're still around? Yes, yes. Uh, so that is 
That's more on a national level. That's yes. a group of students that uh, have made it their goal to provide support to other students who are interested in institutional change. So I know okay. that some of the things they have worked on is bringing together different policies from different schools and providing feedback on those policies. There's a database that's accessible by their members that has all of that policy information. They try to provide guidance to students. Uh, particularly their focus, I think, is on students who are at schools where they feel like they are, are struggling with getting an effective response. And so they're providing tools to those students so that they are better equipped to have the conversation with administration at those other schools. Uh, we don't have, to my knowledge, any students that are on the SAFER board or have membership in SAFER, but I have spoken with them uh, at various times over the years. So uh, we're, we're, talking, we're still talking about, um, that was a by line away from the, um, the directly about, but I think they probably are also dealing with the bystander issue. So we're, we're not done with bystanders. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. I wanted to know, um, I mean, there's lots to say, but I don't there's, know if there was yeah. maybe on the more committal end of it, we were talking from the yeah. sort of the casual interactive to the, the delegation. I don't know if we fully. So I guess what I would say, if that concept, bystander intervention concept, has piqued any of the listeners' interest, then really going to the CARE website um, and learning more about the programs we're putting together, getting involved and engaged in, in our Green Dot program would, would be an amazing opportunity, not just for us to work with you, but for you to, to work with this, this really important issue. And I think one other thing that I would add is yes. one of the things that's been very difficult about prevention efforts around sexual violence is that historically, when we try to measure prevention, it's very difficult to do because if we are effectively preventing violence, then the hope is that we're also providing resources and students are accessing them more. So sometimes college campuses will see increases in reporting right. and it can look like increases in That's, violence. Yes. And so there's hasn't really been a way for us to effectively capture prevention. That's really the struggle with prevention across the board with many topics. Right. But one thing that we're really excited about with Green Dot is that we have the ability to actively measure prevention because if we have reports of people sharing their stories of when they engaged in one of these three Ds or when they did yes. something ahead of time, you know, maybe they talked about bystander intervention to a classroom or a group of their friends, then we actually have the ability to measure moments in time that would have been violence but were not. And we have actually a live campus map available at studentaffairs.uci.edu slash green dot and people can actually post their examples of times that they intervened and we're so excited about this because we want to know what people are doing to stop violence from happening on the campus we want to reward that we want to talk about it we want to create a culture where that becomes the language so i really want to encourage people to share their stories with us and go in there and post their dots and let us know what wonderful things they've been doing to keep their friends and family members safer exactly i'm going to uh, it's not a challenge folks but it it's a uh, entreaty to uh, go to that website and i'll post that in the podcast summary uh, and that is where uh, you can all of you participate in there's a there's about five entries that I saw on the website right now. So there, that's precious few. It's a start. I don't know. How, how long mm -hmm. has the Green Dot Maps been uh, in existence? 
Uh, just uh, about a month now. Only a month. Okay, mm-hmm. so so everybody, you can look and see. They're kind of generic right now. That's I mean, that's fine. But so it, it's a it's a challenge of the most wholesome and productive kind I can think of mm-hmm. for everybody to. I mean, I'm not going to put in their green. I rubber necked on the campus road, but <laughs> but I, I uh, for everybody to uh, consider where they had participated as a bystander and you give yourselves let yourselves be an example to somebody else give somebody else a script by what you actually did in the directing distracting delegating so um let's load up that map with green dots so it's like it looks like a lawn yes yeah (laughs) we want to hear all over and you and folks you don't have to be right on campus there the dot that i see is the furthest removed is it's not quite in Fountain Valley. Maybe it's in Costa Mesa. Mm-hmm. So it's a, they're they're pretty much clustered around university campus and yeah. university uh, center. So it it can be anywhere around. I mean, you could say like if you go on a spring break, my, let's put that dot on uh, Baja California. But say because that Baja California could be where there's a ton of uh, a sexual assault opportunity mm-hmm. uh, where f- people are under the influence of um, more recreational. Um, substances then uh, they can then they know what to do with so this is a challenge of the most wholesome kind for people to uh, to post what they're doing so i i want while we're talking about enforcement and policies and all that kind of thing how is the irvine pd let's evaluate them there because we can see in tallahassee it's actually it's a disaster they mm. they it looks like they've let opportunities and responsibilities just drop. So now we're going to put that on your lap to evaluate the the PD, that the police department that you're tasked to work with. So, you know, first I'm going to start with UCIPD. We have right. an amazing uh, police chief who has supported our initiatives and in education and making sure that the officers respond in a trauma-informed way to all of these instances. So it started there, um, our great relationship that we have with UCIPD. From there, we've really been able to broker very positive relationships with our local law enforcement agencies, Irvine PD, Newport PD, um, and making sure that they are partners, collaborators in, in this response response and understanding that if something happens in Newport Beach or something happens in Irvine, they're going to make sure that the student has is informed and, and given access to all the resources that we have here on this campus and given a really sensitive response. Um, so I, I, it started with our police force, right. and I think it's really moved on. And so what you see in those other cases um, that have gone horribly wrong is a siloing of information and um, not co- no collaboration between the partners. And what we're very proud of, and I, I, I have to give the credit to UC Irvine PD, um, is that we have a pretty great collaboration mm-hmm. and process. Well, I, I want to say... Um to their discredit, more than a siloing, it, it, there, it is appearance in the Tallahassee Police Department mm-hmm. of a hidden hand and sort of a, a non-transparent sort of discussion about, well, it's kind of a gray area. We don't have really a reliable witness, so let's, let's act like it's, a, it's not indisputable and we're not even going to yeah. uh, have a, a, a grand jury or whatever. We're not, we're not going to even arraign this uh, right. perpetrator. So uh, it's it's silo is one thing and maybe there's a little more willful uh, participation. Yeah. So to give to give 
them their due and give the positive due with yeah. the, the local jurisdiction. And I'll say we actually spend a lot of time with our police department and we've also talked with these neighboring police departments about those specific cases. Okay, let's break it down and figure out what happened, what went wrong okay. um, in Montana, in Florida, and what are we doing? What do we need to improve upon? And so that's that's an ongoing conversation we have with our, our police department. We meet with them every week and try and figure out individually, case-by-case basis, but also globally and in our policy where 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 are we falling short and where can we improve so um, we're, we're lucky that that we have that sort of partnership and collaboration are you asked by other universities outside of the UC system to provide some expertise I mean are, are you this is a road show ladies or this is, this is actually a road show uh, Mandy myself uh, uh, our police department um, and our uh, Office of Student Conduct have gone and trained officers in Texas, mm-hmm. um, in Los Angeles. So we really talk about because again, this is a change in the way campuses are 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 um, responding to these these issues. So um, we're all compelled to work together, and that has been a little challenging for people. It was challenging for us when we started doing it a million years ago, but when we started doing it, um, and it's challenging for a lot of these police officers and administrative investigators who really just want to do their jobs really well and do a really good investigation that gets evidence. But now we have to work together. And so how do we learn to work together? Um, So, yeah, we actually, we do a roadshow on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, uh, evidence. So if the mode of operating includes some kind of a date rape drug and where the victim comes in and out of consciousness and in some law enforcement uh, parlance, she's not or he's not considered a credible witness. Do you see an increasing sophistication for authorities to to deal with that MO and making the, the case uh, come through after all? So, again, I don't want to diminish the, the majority of the cases that we have that don't use date date rape drugs. It's very sensationalized in the media that this is the only way that that can occur, but it does occur in some instances. But not that many, you're saying, in the scheme of things? Much less. It's much less. Much less. Um, The number one um, tool used to facilitate sexual assault is alcohol. Mm -hmm. Just recreational alcohol. Right. Whether consumed by yourself or someone feeding you drinks. So in that case, then, I wanted to ask whether the university policies around the country, and I'm, I, I know there's, I don't know what tolerance there is on the campus, but is the campus prohibition of underage drinking, does that matter at all? No. 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 We've not found okay. that to be effective. Administrators, all hands on deck and alert there. That <laughs> is not, it's not working. It's not yeah. um, right. sufficient. And, and, and actually hurts in some ways because when students are afraid to come forward because mm-hmm. they think they're going to get in trouble because they were drinking underage or using drugs, they will not report to us. And the drinking goes way underground. And then you really, you've got much more dangerous in the recesses of socializing. So right. it may be, let's provide in a way. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, a position on whether we provide or we put it in different spaces or we change the, uh, the legal drinking age. But we have to destigmatize those behaviors so that we can get at the really concerning behavior, which is you were taken advantage of while you're under the influence. That's the biggest concern for me. Okay. Well, I've just mentioned the providing this sort of sliding sure. scale where so so we have some events. What events do listeners 
and their communities have to look forward to. And while you're pulling that up, I can say there are several websites, everybody. You'll see them also on the podcast summary is the soinfo.uci.edu. That's sexual offense, I believe it stands for. And then the oeod.uci.edu. And then we've already mentioned studentaffairs.uci.edu forward slash green dot. And then the sexual harassment hotline is... If you're out of this area code, it's 949 and then 824-7037. So, Mandy Mount, you have a, a few events for people to look forward to and participating, learning in. Absolutely. So, you know, we always have our ongoing programs that are available for people to participate in, especially students. We've got our healing programs like yoga is healing or our group counseling programs. And people can just contact our office for more information about signing up for those. But we also hold a lot of events throughout the quarter. And one of them is coming up actually in two weeks. We have a partners retreat for couples and where we teach them communication skills around this one is themed around cooking so it's a cooking couples retreat it's on February 21st and so uh, we would we are accepting payment through the end of the week for couples that are interested in participating we're focusing on graduate students for that event we also have several events coming up in April So we've got the Clothesline Project, which is an artistic display in the Gateway Plaza at UC Irvine's campus, and it's comprised of t-shirts that are made by survivors of violence of various forms. They're coded by color. It's very powerful. I think you've done that in previous years. Many, many years. It's been here on the campus, and so um, we actually have all of the t-shirts in-house. There are over, I think, 600 of them now, and they're all made by people who are from UC Irvine and 600 over 600 600 victims yes yes it's men and women men and women and people have their stories posted some of them have more some less some it's just artistic some of them have written diary entries with pictures it's very very powerful that's going to be up for three days april 13th through the 15th in that gateway plaza area goes up about eight in the morning comes down around four in the afternoon well i'd like to make a a plea for it being a longer exhibit so let the chancellor know (laughs) okay no i mean that's that's too easy to miss that that's such a short time a total of three days sure yes ah okay and then we also have Take Back the Night, yes, which is our annual candlelight vigil speak out event. It's also an educational event that includes the entire community. And we had historically, uh, we've been getting six to eight hundred people at that event every single year. This year, it's on April 15th at the flagpoles right at the center there in the front of the university. So we're looking forward to that as well as. Girls Conference Orange County, which is a collaboration with the nonprofit organization Girls Inc., and that's going to be Saturday, April 25th. 2015 at UC Irvine. We're going to be featuring Eden Share from ABC's show The Middle. And uh, we expect that we will be selling out this year. So I do encourage people to get their tickets early. They can find out more information on the Facebook event, which is at facebook.com slash girlsconferenceoc or look up tickets on eventbrite.com. Okay, that's lots. And I want to go to the take back the night on April 15th Mm -hmm. that when I 
I believe I, I attended last year, you have you had then and you will continue to have all of those different organizations with their booths that are showing self-defense measures, uh, all, all kinds of sort of on-the-spot kind of workshops. And they're also going to be part of Take Back the Night this year? Absolutely. Okay. And if there are people listening who want to participate and host one of those educational stations, they just need to contact us at the care office and let us know they're interested. There's still room for that to happen and people submit applications to participate. But it's a really fun event and people win all kinds of prizes by participating in the education and there's musical performances, artistic performances, opportunities for interactive drumming. It's just a lot of fun and there's refreshments, very inspiring event. And I think the most powerful part of that night is always the speak out at the end. If people are interested in coming and speaking out about their experience to raise awareness and share in community with one another, we go until the wee hours of the morning, just allowing people to come up. It's not scripted. It's not planned. If people from the community would like to share and be a part of that, we welcome them. It's a it's a great event. Now, um, did you say that there's a VJ day, some sort of vagina monologue presentation as well coming up? Will folks all be covering the the law school students presentation that on my March tenth? I believe that's the date. My March tenth show. It's a month from today. However, uh, there is going to be an earlier production that you can post us on. Maybe you have it there in front of you. Um, I'm getting some information right now that there might be some November dates. So let me get some clarity oh, okay. on we'll that. Okay, we'll put that up. So okay. It is February, and it's going to be 19th, 20th, and 21st at 7 p.m. At? Where and is the location? I, do, is it? I don't think they've finalized a location But yet. it'll be on campus, though. It will be on campus. So with the, calling the care officer, where would that be, posting be? Or where, where did you find out that information? I found it from one of the producers. Oh, the producer. <laughs> so, well, that's, a, that's a one place for them. I, what I would do is I would Google V-Day at UCI, and they have a website, and they should be posting information as well as selling tickets on that website. All right. That's good to know. Well, it's time to close. I want to thank both of you. Um, uh, I realized that we had such a lot to cover, and so I'm going to post the interview that was pre-recorded as a, a supplement to the podcast. So if people are waiting to hear Andrew Tonkovich, you will be able to hear him on the podcast, but not in the live broadcast today. So I want to thank both Mandy Mount, Director of UCI Campus Assault Resources and Education Care that we've been referring to, and to thank Teresa Truman, Assistant Director, Deputy Title IX Officer for the Office of Equal Opportunity Diversity, Thank you so much for your time and coming all the way into the studio. Thank you, Thank Claudia. You. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so glad you could be on here. That this is this is what that do them applause here. I'm, I'm going to just tell you as we're wrapping today. Now for uh, one tip in closing, the Global Divestment Day will be on this Friday for institutions to divest their portfolios of fossil fuel industries. The three 50.org folks are the ones organizing that effort toward which we can all contribute, especially since the UC system has yet to join the divestment bandwagon. Well, this brings Ask a Leader to a close. Next week, we'll look under the hood at the Orange County Museum of Art, brimming with some bountiful installations, and more is in the works. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Oh.